0: Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? You're listening to Setting Stages with Eddie Mack. I'm your host, Eddie Aranis, and this is a show where I get to interview guests who have been through some unconventional path in their life, whether it's business, entrepreneurship, education, even their health, you name it. They've been through the thick of it, and I talk to them so that they can share their experience with you, and my hope is that you can get something from their experience and apply it to better your own life. Y'all ready for the show? Let's go. Hey, if you've ever been through a time of change, whether it's your relationship, health, work, or maybe you're moving away to some place that's new and unfamiliar, it can sometimes take its toll on your mentality. Change is challenging for a lot of us, including myself, and yet it's an inevitable part of life. Sometimes we create the change and other times it's out of our control. So how do you deal with change? Or better yet, how can you better handle change? We'll meet Xander. Xander's upbringing in South Africa heavily influenced his outlook on people and on life. You want to talk about change? He moved from home to home 28 times by the age of 12. His family was heavily criticized in a racially separated culture. He was diagnosed with an uncommon condition, and he experienced a life-altering event just as he was laid off from a long-time job. So I brought Xander to the show because he's got a very poetic way of speaking and has artistic talents in photography and filmmaking. But more importantly, he's been extremely resilient through a variety of unique change. So I thought, this dude can definitely set the stage for you listeners. Side note, this isn't the first time you've heard Xander's voice on the show. He actually made a short cameo in a previous Setting Stages episode, which featured his wife and former NFL cheerleader, Marlena Moreno, of Mar Gone Wild. So, if you're ready to learn about how to handle change better, meet Xander. Let's go. We have with us today Xander, and I will not try to pr- pronounce your last <laughs> right. name. Uh, but I'll leave it to you if you want to share it with the with the audience. Um, I know Xander to be a photographer and videographer, um, particularly for wildlife. But he just captures some beautiful images um, that I appreciate from afar. I don't get to see him regularly, but I I do get to respect and appreciate his work um, through social and everything. And I've built a really cool relationship with him through social media, and I really do consider him a friend because of the cadence of conversation that we've had over the course of, uh, gosh, I'd say about a year or so. Um, That being said, Xander, please introduce yourself and please describe how, how would you describe what you do?
1: It's a great question, Eddie. And uh, yes, I definitely appreciate our friendship um, that's developed digitally and now in person, obviously. Um, So my name is um, Xander. Um, In South Africa, I'm known as Zonder. Um, something I've had to come accustomed to here. My last name is Bietche, which so is hard to pronounce for anybody. Um, and I would describe what I do. Um, I love capturing moments. Started as a, as young as the age of five. Uh, very artistic family, so I love I love drawing. But now it's become and it's grown to capturing stills and live images. Um, of mainly wildlife and people. So that's something that I really, really um, enjoy. I just, that's simply put. Um, And then, yeah, I love traveling. So a combination of the two. So traveling and taking, capturing moments and being present in those moments.
0: Right on, Mm -hmm. and what better way to capture and be part of the moment than to take it home with you? Exactly, in the form of a camera. Exactly, that's awesome. Um, Now, although that is your, that's what you do passionately, um, you do have a day job. Yes, actually, you have two, don't you? (laughs) I
1: think, yeah, I think most Americans at this point have um, have two to three jobs just
0: to. I'm not surprised that the, the, us as creatives really have to kind of pull <laughs> yeah. whatever it takes out mm-hmm. of our ass to, to keep the lights on, <laughs> Yes. Right? So what is it that you do as your day jobs? Um, so during the day,
1: uh, you might see me at your door knocking. Uh, I sell solar for a company and uh, really fell into that position. Uh, I was in sales before, so it's something that I'm... My, it's kind of my forte at this point. Um, but yeah, I go out, I knock on doors and I try to sell solar. Um, the reason why I chose that is because it spoke to me. It's something that I actually, a product that I believe in good for the environment. Um, and it benefits homeowners too. So not trying to sell you right now. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I sell solar and then at nighttime, I've stolen this word from my wife Molina. It's called moonlighting. So I moonlight at night, which is um, having a career in the nightclub industry, so to speak. Uh, I stand at the door, um, so uh, and as a host, basically, and welcome people to a venue. And it's pretty lucrative, so right to on. speak. People like to take care of me at that door. <laughs> so, been doing that for on and off, uh, probably twelve years now.
0: Do you get complimented, or are there comments that you receive because of your accent? People are
1: intrigued. Um, yes, I do. They they sometimes mistake it for a Boston accent. <laughs> really? Australian. Wow. Uh British. Uh, but they, they are intrigued. Um, and then the conversation spawns from there. And then sometimes I oftentimes run into fellow South Africans. So and that's always fun. Oh, Lost man. night, particularly, I met a South African downtown, Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Do you just end up shooting the shit with them Oh, absolutely. Fast? We
1: transition into my home language, which is Dutch. Oh, a no. form of Dutch, so to speak. It's called Afrikaans. Um, and uh, we immediately spoke in that conversation and had a conversation in Afrikaans. And that language is almost as harsh-sounding as my actual lost name oh. or surname. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and people oftentimes think that two south africans are fighting with each other when we're just having a normal conversation really it's an aggressive con- it's i aggressive can't language. I,
0: I wouldn't know what it sounded like i've never heard any conversation between t- uh two people to speak afrikaans so yeah.
1: <laughs> i mean I'll, I'll give you a little taste please so there's uh, a lot of harsh sounding words ah. so i just said means how's it going no kidding. Yeah, so...
0: Yeah, I would really think that you were exactly, attacking me verbally. Yeah? Exactly. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome that you... Uh, it's, it's great. What's cool about San Diego is that there seems to be kind of a melting pot of cultures oh, that meet here. You're an obvious example of that. So it's kind of cool that you work in the social space that you do, like at a nightclub, in sales. Um, and then not to mention also photographing subjects at times. Who are human beings mm. and that's cool that you have that personality would you say that you've always had that social ability growing up
1: um, yes and no so when I was younger I was more of I kept to myself a lot I was always playing outside by myself I had a lot of health issues hmm. so I would I wouldn't be at school a lot uh, my dad was a pre was a preacher at the time um, so he would be out and about sometimes I'd go with him so I was a very much a loner always playing uh, little cause in the dirt by myself or outside. I love being outside. Um, so, so much so that I become bored and I call my aunt, Rhett, um And tell her, Hey, I'm bored. What can I do? And she'd say, Hey, why don't you look up at the clouds and start drawing pictures? Uh. And then I'd find myself drawing pictures. That's where the creativity kind of started from. So I had to use my ima- imagination a lot. Um, but then when I went to school and my health kind of became better, so to speak, I uh, I made friends and I, I realized that I love having friends Cool. and surrounding myself with people um, that make me feel good uh, is something that I think every human being strives for. So,
0: yeah. That acceptance of everything exactly. that you are. Exactly. That's cool. You know, um, it's I'm glad and thankful that you actually brought up your childhood. Tell me about life in South Africa, your family dynamic and things of that.
1: Um, so every every home is is unique, right? So my family, I had a preacher as a father, um, Christian upbringing, um, who really kind of molded order and and, a, and believing in things, you know. So so that 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 gave me the support system of oh I'm I'm loved in in, in, uh, in a warm household. We would go to church every Sunday. I didn't want to go at times, but uh, you know, I was. It also made me be the the like, typical preacher's son. He sure. was always naughty, up to no good, <laughs> running around the church, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then on on my mother's side, it was more the creatives, the poets, the photographers, videographers. My aunt only, um worked for a production company in South Africa, always traveling, filming on big projects, huh, okay. Jock of the Bush, Felt Sinbad, um, a bunch of uh, pretty known South African films. Um, and then, so I had this really well-balanced um, upbringing, I, I should say, um, with, yes, it's challenges. Um, and then, you know, um, growing up in a place where there is this constant conflict between, White South Africans and Black South Africans, and and equality always being questioned, was was something that kind of, you know, I was sheltered from at times, but then it became very apparent when I went to a church. And I'll be honest with you, um, there weren't uh, there weren't Black people allowed in our church uh, for for generations, until uh, my father took the initiative, God bless him, to um, to open that to everyone to all human beings um, and that's something that uh, my mom also fought for um, but it really, it was a struggle because not a lot of people were open to that right. but we lost a lot of support from the white community um, and I'm by all means good, good riddance um, but I was really lucky to have that upbringing to really teach me equality and to really have open-minded um, and just good human being perspective you know what i mean yeah um so because i could have turned out to be quite the opposite uh if it wasn't for that
0: upbringing um so that's a little bit of my upbringing yeah that's a great insight too that you were able to kind of gain a um an open-minded perspective Mm -hmm. based on your family's beliefs and it sounds like your personality was obviously influenced by your adventurism and if that's even a word and (laughs) um and, and also your, the creative side, which was influenced heavily from your mother's, um, I guess, creative juices.
1: Exactly. So she's a, she's really poignant with her words. She's a great writer. Um, yeah. She's actually... And, and corporate, too. She was always corporate. We're very similar um, in that regard. Um, but then I'll also give credit to my nanny. Uh, okay. Most South African families have nannies. And um, my nanny, Esther, she taught me um, some of their language uh, which is Tosa. So I learned how to speak a little bit of Tosa, um, clicking and all that stuff. Yeah. And I wow. was literally raised on her back. And, uh, one day I will never forget we were driving to church. And I said to my father, I said, Hey dad, I think I was like five or six. My mom always retells a story. said, Hey, why can Esther never come with us to church? And my mom looked at my dad and my dad looked at me and he said, some people just don't understand things. Um, and that's what we need to fight for. So. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, um, really, my mom pushing it um, and then my dad accepting it and then making a difference, um, which would later in turn bankrupt him.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, we really? had to
1: move into the church eventually uh, and live in the church because we lost our house. At that point, my parents were already separated. Um, but... Yeah, so it was challenging to, like, realize that human beings just don't align with the similar mindset as perhaps your household, um, or your upbringing, or your perspective, and that's okay, but it's not okay if it does damage. So it did a lot of damage in South Africa, and the world knows about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, again, very lucky to be not taught, but to be supported in my own thoughts and I was always allowed to question things, and I was always allowed to give my perspective. And that's something that I think separated me from perhaps other kids that aren't as lucky with their, with their traditions and their ways.
0: We don't have to dive, I mean, heavily into this, but being that you were given the ability to share your opinion, have a perspective that was independent of anyone's, really, and you had given you've been given the, the freedom to share that did that did you find that that gained you more friends or did you lose more friends in that you know in that regard um if
1: i lost those friends then i wouldn't consider them friends anymore so that that's kind of how i looked at it mm. but both i think a little bit of both eddie um and my white friends at the time wouldn't want to hang out with my black friends and my and vice versa but um I care how people treat me, mm-hmm. and not how they. But I also don't look the other way, and if they're mistreating other people. Um, but I think that yeah, I mean, you lose people that shouldn't be in your life, um, just naturally uh, in those circumstances. Um, so for me, good riddance, so to speak. But uh, but yeah, again, very lucky there to still have the friends that, um, you know, were of the of the same mindset. And I think that's really what having good support systems is all about, is aligning yourself with people that think in a certain way, like you do. Um, And just, I think naturally, we just
0: have this magnetic kind of connection. I'm with you on that. I think that um, over time, and not just in adolescence and growing up, but as... Time progresses and, you know, as decades go by in our lives, I think that I'm at a point myself where I'm realizing that we kind of rake through the the values um, that other people share with us and we tend to gravitate towards those same values and I think that anyone would agree with that. And then ultimately, for those who don't necessarily agree with your values, um, all the best to them. And, and I would hope that they would wish the same upon me if that was the case. Um, and that just goes, I mean, that's just relationships. Things expire, and that, uh, that's part of it. That's and and of it's part it. of discovering who you are and who's part of your community and or should be. Um, so that influence of being able to share your opinions and, 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 then, and then transitioning with separated um, parents, and then it sounds like you were living in the church. Um, so what was that experience like, if you can describe that?
1: Honestly, a lot of people ask me that question when they hear about it, and um, we were still building this church, um, so the roof was, in my room was still exposed, so in rainy times, it would, I would have a natural waterfall coming into my room, which was amazing, um, and then we had an outside shower, so you'd have to walk outside in the cold, um, but the reason why that was m- my most favorite and fondest memory was I was always allergic to animals. Uh, I still, to this day, am a little bit allergic. I always struggle with my health um, since nine months old. I was hospitalized every year for bronchitis and all this stuff. Um, And I got my first pup. So a Rottweiler puppy named Jordan, after Michael Jordan, because I was obsessed with Michael Jordan. Um, Being South African, you only get to see the big games uh, on TV, not every single game. So the Bulls, Lakers, Bulls, Celtics games. So. I got my first pup there, um, named him Jordan, and we became best friends. He really helped me through that kind of challenging and, I would say, embarrassing at times, moments when friends would want to come over and you're like, oh, this is my house slash room slash church. Um, But again, I was really fortunate in being humbled with the people that raised me. And never really felt embarrassed, um, and just kind of owned it. But yeah, that that was actually a really fond memory of mine for for, like two years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because I asked that question with this preconceived idea that it was a terrible thing. And you described it as a waterfall that I was <laughs> yeah. in your room. And, and, and your friends really enjoyed the adventures that were in that, that little place. Exactly. That's so cool.
1: And it gave me a way to sneak out and play with the
0: dogs during my dad's long-winded s- <laughs> sermons. Um, yeah, Did you... Um, how... At what age did you come to the United States and how did that come about? Um, So my first uh, trip to the States was when I
1: was 12 years old for my birthday. My mom flew us. She had already set up shop here in the States. She was very fortunate and took the initiative and kind of saw where the economy was going in South Africa. So she took the opportunity. It was really tough for her and I commend her for that. I don't know if I would have had that courage to leave everything she knows behind and really come to the US for her children, um, to create a future for them, because it is truly the land of opportunity in the sense that you can make anything you want of yourself here. It really is, we're very lucky. Um, so I was 12 years old, um, took a trip. She bribed me, she took me to, she lived in Atlanta, Georgia, um, Marietta specifically, and showed me around, showed my sister and I around South, uh, around. Um, Atlanta, and then we took a road trip to Disney World. Saw Disney World. Took a, a private jet. My uncle, who she worked with, he owned his own Fortune 500 company at the time. Took it. In, took us in his private jet Get to New York City. Oh my God! Circled the got clearance to circle the Statue of Liberty. So I'd never seen the Statue of Liberty. I will say this. I thought it was going to be bigger. <laughs> um, it's It was smaller because as a kid you think it's going to be, you know. Some
0: monumental. Exactly. Thing.
1: Yeah. Um, but was just overwhelmed with the city. Touched snow for the first time in New Jersey and skied. Um, fell. I should say not skied. <laughs> uh, fell a lot. And then um, so she really showed me a magical time, 12 and Bride me, basically, and I saw. I was like, okay, this oh, is my yeah. life here.
0: You saw, you yeah. saw all the
1: great stuff. Exactly, yeah. and um, even got me my first electrical call, which I never had in oh my South gosh. Africa. So it was really a yin and yang to what I knew. Um, and uh, then six months when I was back in South Africa, six months later, um, just wanted to be back here as
0: soon as possible. Okay. So then the next year I moved here. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and so were you, obviously you were very excited considering the experiences that oh, you yes. had. Um, do you recall what it was truly like? Was it was there a difference between literally Disneyland and then reality? Yes. Okay. What, uh, what was that like? What's that experience like at twelve or thirteen years my old? My
1: mom did a fantastic job of keeping those bribes coming. Okay. Um, <laughs> she had um, bought a really beautiful, the biggest house I had ever lived in. Okay. Um, very uh very white picket fence kind of it was a brick building in atlanta um on a lake um and in a really perfect little neighborhood Hmm. uh, things that you see on tv nowadays um so and then the yellow school buses that you would the iconic school buses i would get on that go to middle school um so for me it was a transition but it was more it was even bigger than I expected okay Uh, so it wasn't so much that the reality was a negative it was more so wow this is my life now I have a backyard with massive trees with a lake Uh, there's a neighborhood where I like became really close with friends and I had stability so she really and the US really allowed for more stability um, whereas in South Africa, I had been traveling with my we had, we had moved twenty eight times um, in my twelve years of existence at that point. Oh wow! So we were constantly moving from home to church to out to another house living right. with my grandma. So yeah, it was more stability.
0: There was just a constant. Home. Exactly. There was always a place to go to, as exactly. opposed to finding a place mm-hmm. to be. Interesting, as a as a child growing up and being that you came from a different country, transitioning yourself into the United States, you get you had the consistency of home, and I'm sure that there was a social uh, transition that you also had to kind of endure so describe what that was like were there any challenges that you had maybe coming from whatever experiences you had
1: that's a great question i that was probably the most challenging the social aspect i at the time i was i was going through some again some health issues uh not that really affected me physically but that affected me um uh what do you call it not artificially but like on the externally okay so i would um i was losing my hair um which was due to stress and my asthma overuse of the inhaler and stuff like that growing up so i was losing my hair in patches and then when i was at in the united states at the time i lost all of my hair so it was called al- alopecia areata um and for me it was alope- alopecia universalis where you lose all of your hair no eyelashes no eyebrows i look like powder <laughs> right, right yeah um, and then i also <clears> was just <throat> unique looking I, I showed up the first day at school at the time, I still had a little bit of hair. I wore a hat. I had really short shorts because in South Africa, all the kids wear short shorts. Sure. Uh, I was decked out in Adidas. Everything was Adidas. Um, nice. Yes, exactly. I was, <laughs> never. I always wore the fake Adidas yeah. in, in South Africa.
0: Had <laughs> four stripes on it. <laughs> exactly. My three. grandmother
1: would make four stripes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways, um, so I stood out, and first I'll never forget. Uh, I was sitting with all these cheerleaders. They were curious about my accent and just the way I looked, I guess. Yeah. And I was sitting with them, and the biggest guy in school came up to me and smacked me in the back of my head. And I'll never forget. My mom told me, "You stand up to any bully. Mm -hmm. The very first day, you set the tone." And I turned around with all this energy, and all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed by his stature. And I said, don't you ever touch me like that again. Wow. And uh, we actually became really good friends after that. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so it was challenging. And just the culture, too. Um, we grew up with customs in South Africa that aren't similar than, 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 than the States. Um, with, like, always having a barbecue or what we call a braai. And, like, very homely. And, like, neighbors come over to your house and you share meals. Um, whereas Americans are very private. I've come to know in, in 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 when you're outside of your house it's you're it's very sociable okay but home is home like nobody really comes to the house right. in certain areas at yeah. least from yeah. my perspective, so there were some social things that happened that was a slap in the face literally at times. Um, <laughs>
0: or the back of your head, but <laughs> I always
1: had this hunger to see the U.S. And I yeah. was, I in South Africa, I always wore my hats backwards. I always saw myself as different. Hmm. So I, I, I adapted to the U.S. better than my sister did because I was always longing for to experience what it would, what life would be like in the u.s
0: so you were already anticipating change sometime in your future whether it was going to be bribing you to the <laughs> to come to the united states and it sounds like it didn't really take it really wouldn't have needed you wouldn't have needed too much bribing after all right because you were already interested in in living here mm-hmm. and then lo and behold yeah but i was gonna there. let my mom know that so. yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah that's a good point
1: keep <laughs> the bribes coming no but yes
0: yeah so you came at a pretty young age. I mean, and it's a sensitive time, too. I mean, teenage years are not exactly the easiest to make mm-hmm. any transition. So socially was a sensitive um, moment for you, I'm sure. So, I mean, it, it, but it sounded like you handled it really well. And, and despite looking different, uh, you mentioned not having any hair. I mean, I, I, I really, I look at you and I can't even imagine. You've got, a, like, a beard. I'm sure you could grow a full beard. I'm so at this point. hairy now. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. <laughs> um, but, I mean... You know, I I definitely wouldn't know as a child how to necessarily react, you know. In this day and age, though, I I think about social media and the exposure and and the lack of privacy, really, that we have now. Um, It's a little bit different. I think that perhaps we're more exposed to differences because of what we have access to right and uh so in, in a sense that's a good thing because the world has gotten smaller and uh i would hope that we find a way to accept things a little bit more easily because we're exposed to them but we also grew up in a time that we didn't know what the, there was no internet and we saw the transition of the mm-hmm. internet happen so prior to that i was a kid you know, and I didn't. I wouldn't know how it'd react. And you seem to have taken it in good stride. Sound like you had a very strong foundation that was established by your mother, having the strength to stand up to someone who saw that you were different, or thought saw saw you as a threat. Yeah, that's no, great.
1: absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. I couldn't put it any better. I think it's always been the support systems that really helped me through my moments.
0: Right on. As far as um, you know, as, as progression. Um, Continued in your life So you, you've become older and, and now perhaps you're a working American man So tell me about your experience in the corporate world and Yeah,
1: absolutely um, So I, I went to We moved to San Diego uh, Went to college um, Well, went to high school Torrey Pines and SDSU um, And then somehow landed a job As an audiovisual technician I went to film school at State um, And got my bachelor there um, but then went to into more of a corporate environment and not so much a creative side where mm. I really wanted to. I think the threat of moving to LA um, was just something that was overwhelming to me at the time mm. and a big step that would be a big step on my own. So I stayed in San Diego uh, and went the corporate route, and then two years later became a director for the event technology company that I worked for. Um, with my own kind of team at a hotel and did that for 10 years. It's funny how you can just look back and say, oh my goodness, time flies, right? So um, so yeah, I did that for 10 years and was very comfortable, um, very much a corporate American lifestyle, nine to five, um, with its own challenges. Um, but it wasn't the creative outlet that I've naturally always longed for. Um, so, you know that that kind of sums up briefly how kind of mundane that job was. Sure. Um, it had great things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, connections that I built, relationships with um, with the teams that I led, um, and just really got me dealing with difficult, challenging situations on a corporate level, okay. that, where you're sitting with a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, like my uncle had, and you're talking business, and you're the person go- that needs to make calls, yeah. problem solve, create solutions, um, you're doing everything, operation, sales, everything, because you're the go-to person. And that was, that kind of, I naturally naturally gravitated to that position, that leadership role, because I love engaging with people, um, and I felt that they liked engaging with me too. so that's kind of my corporate take. On, yeah, on yeah, it. Uh,
0: it sounds like you also picked up some great skills in terms of the work, uh, I guess the, the workforce, work ethic even, um, being able to carry yourself in in a manner that a CEO being present in the room, you were able to carry. A professional demeanor about you too because of that experience. When you look at what you studied in terms of the creative aspect of audio and visual, mm-hmm. um, being a technician and, and such, you mentioned that moving to LA was a little bit of an overwhelming idea that you hesitated to really commit to. Um, first question out of that context is, what were you afraid of? I was
1: afraid of... Competition, I think. I th- I think, in film school, everybody is talking about okay, the next step, and for most people, it was oh, the natural move would be Los Angeles, um, and then you would hear the conversations extend to well, it's tough out there, like it is cutthroat, mm. and San Diego is very homely and comfortable. You have your friendships, you have you have your relationships, um, you have your family or whatever. So. Any move, and I think because I had the upbringing of moving so much, I wanted consistency and I wanted to continue in that. But then also, money talks, so I was very comfortable in you know having a part time job that I was very satisfied with at the time. So that changes like that would have been me moving literally on my own uh, and kind of severing from my. Home at the time I was living still with my mom and um, my stepdad um, so I think that was the threat but it was more so the like now it's all on me to be creative again and to really make something of myself and I think I just wasn't ready at the time okay um, maybe for some reason uh, again like I said my upbringing yeah but um, also people can be intimidating in what, what you hear about it you know, so uh, at that point, I was just very comfortable.
0: Got it, and so that comfort kind of led you to make the decision. Let's just stay. I'll stay. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too when I kind of connect the dots from your transition and from South Africa to Georgia to I mean, living in <laughs> Atlanta and then having that home, that place of consistency, like you described. Exactly. Uh, how much that influenced your comfort level? Um yes. When you you also touched on something really cool, and I thought that it was so. Uh, it was kind of a a, a moment of realization for myself when you said it and it was that you just weren't ready at the time Mm. and you also said that right now it is all you it is entirely dependent on your moves and your action and your execution in your life in order for you to kind of bring things together and and you're more than willing to do that now but at the time it wasn't that wasn't the case exactly and I think
1: that's a continuous struggle as a human being like like relying on yourself and getting to near yourself is probably it never ends you know right right um so i still struggle with these thoughts um you know transitioning out of the corporate environment after 10 years um but sometimes you need a push and i've always waited for that push to happen whether it was my parents being divorced i was just pushed i had to i had to choose do i stay with my dad do i stay with my mom Um, so there's always been like some sort of a push in my life Um, and now I've come to realize that if I don't make that move on my own it might never happen and if I truly want to live out my dreams then that's all on me Uh Uh, becoming my best friend when I was little was something that just naturally happened and then as you have all these distractions in life whether it be schooling, friendships, relationships um clubs, um, so to speak like just your daily life um, you start losing touch of yourself and your own relationship because you're inundated with uh, especially with social media di- the digital movement, all that kind of stuff you're inundated with at what everybody else is doing and then you lose sense of yourself um, and I think that that's that can make you stagnant and that can make you hesitant um, so for me I think that's what happened
0: you know it's it what when we talk about the fears that you had about la or moving to la and 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 going for the creative move right you hesitated and and part of what you described in that story was that you didn't um, oh oh, people what people said to you about living there and about the competitive nature of that lifestyle the city the industry that you were jumping into was intimidating Mm -hmm. um and yet how much more so now is it that we see that competition regularly in our feeds? Exactly. And yet you, you view it differently. You see it as, you know, I really need to maintain my own, block out the noise and distractions of comparing myself to that next Instagram page or whatever. How interesting is it that you've matured to a point where you're like, no, it's not about what they're saying or doing. It's about how I maintain my life. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a, powerful.
1: That's a great observation, and that is that is truly powerful. Um, I wouldn't applaud myself that much because you, you again, your mind still goes. So you see somebody doing or aspiring to um, what you're aspiring to, uh-huh. um, and it can be threatening. But I see it as also good for them, you know. And but I still I think when you when you just go back to yourself you have to believe that you're unique, that, you're, that your story is different than their story. Mm-hmm. On the outside, it might look the same. There's a lot of people filming and taking pretty pictures of wildlife and people, and they're better than I am or, you know, we're on the same level. Um, but it's not so much that that's... I think I've blocked that out as a threat now. It's more so, okay, it's, it's the American way it's competition drives everything hmm. it, it drives the most amazing work that's ever been produced um, and that's really naturally where I go to I have my own story my background my background's different than any other human beings it's like my DNA 100% um, so I don't really see it as intimidating so much anymore I see it as an opportunity to tell my own story because if you really think about it you wouldn't make any move in this day and age because everything's been done before. Huh. I mean there's only so many colors that you can paint with in my opinion. Um, but how you paint is what makes it unique. Right. And that's really where I f- find myself being confident is I paint differently. I uh, I appreciate I, that I, I, I that's write great. differently, I paint differently. It might look the same to somebody else, but how I come about it is my way that's solid that somebody man. might like that way yeah and if yeah. there's just one person that really loves it it's fulfilling I, I don't have a huge following on my Instagram account but I'm really proud of it it's my little gallery my little art gallery so, so to speak and who knows maybe one day I'll actually have my own gallery yeah I respect that very much but the comments that I get even I mean the love and support I get from you it really I, I mean it sincerely when I say this it really humbles and it, it's honored like I'm honored by that um just one person reaching out to me saying hey how do you do what you do like i'm like wait me uh, and it makes you realize that somebody's seeing it and i think as human beings naturally we it's a warm feeling to have that um interest or that intrigue in you i think just keeping that intrigue in yourself is something that really takes work uh-huh you know
0: I'd like to switch gears a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a a huge, really the primary reason why I wanted to speak with you, and and I'm so thankful that you're willing to share your story. Um, There was one pivotal moment that you've explained to me before that had really changed your outlook on the way that you approach your life. And from what I'm discussing here with you today, I, I, I'm realizing that there's been more than one. But mm-hmm. that one that I'm that I'm referring to, you know what I'm talking about. Can you dive into that a little bit? I, I'd like to hear actually about where was your, where were you, what space were you in prior to that incident, and then describe what that incident was. Okay, absolutely.
1: Um, so I was, uh, I, I like I mentioned earlier, I was laid off of my ten-year career um, with that events technology company. I just. At the time, I was working three three jobs. I was doing that, and I was still doing the moonlighting job, and I was actually bartending. Um, and had just moved my dad and brother to my little house that we're sitting in right now. Um, or, no, we're in a studio. Oh, yeah. I uh, was teasing. <laughs> uh, but um, they were here, and long story short, I uh, was laid off. I was on my motorcycle at the time. At the time my, my dad had the call, and I was heading to my bartending job uh, up the street, uh, and a block away, and they always say that it happens that way, I was hit um, by a driver um, who wasn't paying attention, and it changed, within an instant, it changed my life. Um, the person hit me on the left side of my motorcycle, crushing my ankle against my engine, I had to ditch the bike rolled several times in the rolling could see that something was wrong with the foot it was really bad um, not to be crude or grotesque but it was flopping around as I was rolling
0: oh my god landed on
1: my back and you saw you I, I could foot see everything I was, com- I was in I was completely uh, aware oh my and um, could see everything happen and everything kind of came to a standstill it was almost slow motion and uh, landed on my back motorcycle to the side try to immediately gather myself and get up and that's when I remembered oh wait I saw something and I looked down and my bones were coming out of my pants and through my shoe and my foot was completely twisted to the left um really deformed and I panicked uh but got more so aggressive. I was upset. Yeah. And I said, "Did you not see me?" and I tried to take my helmet off and um You're on the ground here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I was trying to get up. So I was trying to <laughs> of get course up. You were. And then uh, uh, um, cuz I didn't want to accept it. I don't want to accept like wow. okay, something's really wrong. Yeah. And then when it kicked in like, "Okay, I'm out of control here. It's not my this is, there's nothing I can do at this point. I need to lay down." Mhm sat back down uh luckily for me there were people running to the scene um and then helped me uh you know i had them grab my belt and tie i don't know if it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do but tie above my knee so i don't bleed out uh, because there's a lot of loss of blood and then um heard the ambulances come actually at the time i was also um now is my wife marlena we were still at that time fairly new in the relationship two three months in and i called her she was the first person i wanted to call and i called her and i said she was shooting on the freeway um commercial um and she picked up and i said i'm so sorry i I don't know what's going to happen i don't know if i'm going to lose my leg uh but i love you and i just wanted to call you and she's like, wait, what? And so I, now knowing, like, that must have been a terrible for her experience. <laughs> yeah. So she rushed down wow. immediately. I got off the phone, and then the ambulances came. And, you know, that changed my life. In an instant, that changed my life. Uh, had to get surgery, was hospitalized for a month, uh, three metal plates. Um, foot will never be completely healed at all. Mobility, I limp now. Uh, It requires a lot of physical therapy. Every morning I wake up, it's painful. But, again, had to really go through two years. That's two years ago, over two years ago now to date. Um, But really had to go through a mental. It was more so the mental, uh, because I was in tip-top shape at the time. I was running on the beach all the time. Um, I was just really on cloud nine. And it really grounded me to realize, like, look, You might think that your life is amazing, but in an instant that can change, and it's really, again, up to you to make the best of it. And I, again, had amazing support systems. I had my dad here at the time, and I had the amazing Molina in my life, um, and that's really what helped me through that process.
0: You said that in an instant it was a life-changing moment. It seems like you were despite maybe the adrenaline, the aggression that you were feeling toward the situation, you you described it like it was you were aware of everything that this moment could be defining for you. Yeah. Would you say that that's an accurate depiction? Oh, 100%. Oh, I, wow. And
1: I was fearful of that, um, of the knowing and the unknown, because at the time, all I could remember saying to the uh, paramedics when they showed is, please don't take my leg, Like, do everything you can to save my leg, because I don't, I don't want to lose it. Um, and they were like, don't worry about that right now. And that made me worry even more. <laughs> oh, um, gosh, yeah. So morphine really helped. <clears throat> um, and the whole process, going through surgery, infection, all this stuff, or the potential of infection, the doctors, I mean, I could commit. They're, they're my heroes. Like, they, they really saved my leg. Yeah. So, yeah, but I was very aware. And i, I my mind is always worst-case scenario. It, it always Man. is. Um, so in that moment i always, i always thought okay well this i'm gonna lose my leg um i have this i might seem like i always have this positive outlook but i always think that the worst might happen and i try to prepare myself for that Hmm. um and so yeah so but you know it did it was life-changing in that moment immediately like i could just see it
0: i would I would like to add on to something that you said just now, which was you may seem like you have a positive attitude and demeanor about everything, and I actually I perceive you that way, um, which is why I really appreciate that we became acquainted with one another and became friends. But it's not not so much the positive outlook that that is always on that we see on the surface, exactly. but because of your positive outlook, you do prepare for what could could become a negative scenario um mentally preparing yourself to the point where you're aware when your foot (laughs) is literally off of your body yeah you can't i i can't even fathom what that feeling must be like to be so aware of yourself in that moment that this could change my life and (laughs) i i I really don't know i don't know i have no words to describe that experience no i i I feel like Every human being that
1: goes, because we all have, we all have our situations, our life-changing experiences, whether that be whatever that is, you know. Um, but I think we're very blessed to have evolved to where we are today. And whether you believe in, it doesn't matter where you believe you come from. It just matters that you are. And I think that when adrenaline kicks in we are we are made we are created uh, or evolved to to deal with these situations um differently yes, but to a certain extent very similarly and I think any person who goes through that moment will be fine we are we, we the, your body naturally will take care of itself if you take care of it um in this case, I needed doctors to do that, but you just go through it and that's why. I think people are the way they are. They just kind of speaking fluffy here, but to put it more in, in perspective, naturally, we go through these experiences, and naturally, we. And I think that that's what's lost with this digital age is we don't we're not so we're not so in touch with ourselves naturally anymore. Mm. We're so um, indicted or um, enveloped in what we want other people to perceive us to be i see Um, instead of what we are instead of just being human beings. yeah okay you know what i mean okay yeah so i that's very kind of all over the place but that's what i was going through at the time is just like naturally just going back to who i am and dealing with the situation and having the support systems again to help me through it and then my body just taking over for the rest and trusting that that would make everything okay in the end so
0: how would you explain your um mindset when you realized your foot was saved or your leg you didn't have to have amputated um how would you describe what your mind was going through what were you going through experiencing emotionally
1: um i'll be honest with you i was i was so relieved um at first um within while i was in the hospital i was really relieved to hear the, the good news because it took about three weeks before i got the actual official like oh, no wow. it looks like you're gonna keep your leg oh
0: wow so you had three um, weeks to wait for an to official wait word. the
1: swelling had to go down Holy everything smokes, had yeah. to happen uh there was still because they were two open wound compound fractures um uh so infection was big a big concern so it took time mm-hmm. and that's that's really what the stress was. This waiting game, this this in between moment. I think that's really what made me crazy uh, in the hospital, um, and it's fearful, the unknown. But also, also like I had to wait to find out what my what my life was going to be. Okay, um, and that was something that was, I guess, new to me. Maybe because I was so comfortable before, um, so it was something that really hit. Me in the face, um, and then um, just uh, finally when I got the news, it changed it. But then the honesty part that I wanted to share is, when I got home, I that wasn't that wasn't enough. It was now okay. Well, what what now? I saved my my leg was saved, right? But I'm forever changed by it. Uh-huh. So then you go from happy and really um, fortunate to a well, still it's not good enough. Like I want to be able to run again. I want to be able to have my normalcy Uh or my normal life. And so you become almost resentful. You go through a depression. Really I went through a depression for about a year. And again, if I didn't have the support system it might have been different for me. I still today, like the streets right up the road, Um, I drive posted every day. Um, I went through some little bit of PTSD um, nothing nearly is like what a, what a marine goes through or what somebody else might go through that's been warfare or something like that but Fair. it was my own little battle that Absolutely. I went through yeah um, so it wasn't all positive all positive, and mm. it was again nothing's ever good enough sometimes you know
0: what would you say is if there, if you can have a short list and I don't know if there's a long one and there could very well be. But if there is a list of things or ideas or anything that you embraced in your life, what would those things be that you think helped you get through that process of overcoming the depression and the grief and the piss offedness, all of that?
1: Again, going back to just being human, like cry when you need to cry. Like bite in the pillow and scream as hard as you want, huh. as you need to. Um, hate. Hate. It's fine. It's okay. It's like accept, like accepting your emotions and allowing those emotions to come out is okay, as long as it's not damaging other people, um, because it's really not damaging yourself. I mean, naturally you cry for, God knows what reason sometimes. Should be yeah. Um, I'm a very emotional person, um, and I sh- I share that with myself a lot. Like I'm okay with crying when I feel sad. Like it's not. Uh, I'm not always just a tough guy. Um, But I think accepting your emotions is is key. That's Hmm. my one, the key item in that list. Okay, Um, And then understanding that it's going to be okay and having a positive outlook and sometimes forcing it. Like focusing on one thing that's positive and writing that, like having an outlet. And I think that's really why... Photography speaks to me so much And videography And be having this outlet Writing poetry Is because It's one thing to Cry and let these feelings out Or scream Or or hit the wall uh, The physical action of it But it's another thing to Journal Like keep a diary of it um, To document it What does that do for you? It reminds you I cry, the tears evaporate, and then I might not remember. Trust me, I'll remember the pain and the screaming and stuff. Um, But I don't have a way to see it. I don't have a way to go back to it unless I really try to relive it in my mind, which is sometimes not good, sometimes it is. But what that creative outlet does for me is, like, for example, when I was laying on this couch, my leg in the air by myself at times... I would write down how I was feeling, Um, and it just bled out, and it it really just helped me let it out, and that's what poetry does for me too, it just lets me just express myself, and sometimes it's just to me, sometimes I put it out there for the universe universe so that other people can read it, and it might speak to somebody else, so that's really what it does, and then this third step is sharing that with somebody else, um, and having them give their thoughts and opinions on what you just shared is another human interaction that i think is is key in those those pivotal moments is that support system wow so those those three things i think uh to summarize you know letting the emotions out capturing those emotions in some way shape or form and then sharing that with somebody Mm. you know whether it be a complete stranger or somebody that you really that really knows you and you know them really well, whatever that naturally happens to be, is I think really key.
0: Right on. For the, the times that you've shared those emotions, I mean, you're obviously doing that with us here today. Um, how has it been reciprocated um, in those in those past instances where you have shared words or whatever the case might have been? Um, some people
1: know me so well that they'll. They'll be poetic themselves, and they'll we'll just have like a, a, um, an emotional bonding moment um, with um, with good friends um, with others like a, a mom. She'll she'll I mean my mom flew out when she heard, uh-huh. um, so that's like family. It's just a natural thing. Luckily for me, I had great support system there. With my wife, it was there was there were two things that were were happening she was very empathetic and sympathetic for me and she became my private little nurse and she moved down from Los Angeles and left what she had known to be there to support me and that spoke volumes Um, it got us closer and then when she saw like hey I'm sulking a little bit too much now Mm. she motivated me and said suck it up a little bit she showed a little bit of tough love and it wasn't tough love without love it was still it's actually the most honest sense of love that i've come to know something that's new to me that i was always you know i always got soft love my mom my dad Uh but but when you really find somebody that truly deeply cares about you they don't bullshit you they tell you what's going to be best for you because they know you because they care and because of their experiences and then realizing that you know uh i need to suck it up at times and i can't just woe is me the whole time sure that made me stand up finally that made me take my first few steps you know tough love is just as good as tender exactly
0: wow you're uh, lucky man you're a lucky yes man. <laughs> i am i'm very lucky
1: i have a, yeah an amazing support system
0: and an amazingly beautiful soulmate. As I'm watching you talk about this, um, I, I don't have a, a lot of video content for, for the, these interviews that I do, but if I can just describe what I'm seeing from you, I can sense that you still feel those moments of pain, and, and I, albeit it's definitely not the same uh, emotionally, but, but at least you're acknowledging it and you're still aware of what could have been a very nasty situation turned into a tragic one. And you didn't. You pulled yourself out of that. Um, you had some help for people to pull your head out of your own ass. Yeah. To really wake you up to opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, what opportunities did you find yourself seeing after realizing there is still there is still life left? There is still me that I have to take care of here. Right. What did you pursue, and how did you approach what the next steps were? Um.
1: So I think I needed a mental break. So the first thing we did was we took a trip. Um, we spoke when I say we Marlena and I we spoke and she she recommended that we get out of town and we go somewhere she wanted me to be outside I remember she she started by taking me in my wheelchair outside of the hospital just to get some fresh air sure Um, and then took it a step further and said because when we first met we were talking about our bucket list and, like, where we would go to. Uh We love traveling. She's traveled extensively. She's seen more of Africa than the South African in this room. (laughs) Um, And that's another thing that the U.S. does. It allows you to travel inexpensively, so to speak. If you're earning in dollars, you can travel in dollars. Right. Um, But I think the first thing that we did was we took a trip to Cuba, uh, of all places. So we went to Cuba. That was one of our bucket list trips. Cool. That allowed me to just be present. All right. While escaping. So I was out traveling and I was kind of forced to walk, hike, just get out there. Yeah.
0: And make moves. That's awesome. So that's and so that's all physical activity there that really you at one point may have been thinking normalcy is done. Exactly. Great.
1: Um so and and also having this kind of like forget about everything else going on forget about the finances forget about everything else and just just sometimes you just need to have that escape to really find out what it is that you really want to do sure and become and um and then adapting to that so we took that trip and then when we came back it really inspired me i i loved it so much i loved we started taking i played we took the camera with started playing with the camera we had we definitely had some game plan um, she was at the time working on her Margon Wild um, blog and everything uh-huh. so we went there kind of for that and then lo and behold I saw where my place was in life by taking pictures of her I started going back to where I where I started with that creativity with photography with videography and then I was like okay what, what next You're reawakened yeah absolutely and then we did india so cool. um and india was just a lot more of that um but with more purpose and so i started thinking okay this is something that i really could potentially do make a li- make a living out of hopefully down the line um i mean i'm still working on it but this is what really completes me
0: awesome awesome this is the balance of the yes keeping the lights on kind exactly. of gigs right keeping my internal lights on yeah mm-hmm. oh man what a way to put it too unbelievable as far as your experiences now having been through the you know the the physical um recovery of that accident and then being able to rediscover that fire that almost started to dim just to some degree what are you looking forward to now? Um, every day that you wake up, is there something that well, just kind of keeps you?
1: I I would say yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like, not every day, but sure. but but in general, yes. I I I love life. Um, I love. Uh, I think what keeps me motivated is the next the next trip, the next moment I can relive um, or reengaged. Or re-engage my senses as, as like where travel takes me with photography um, just having a game plan so waking up I mean I have these jobs now so I, I'm constantly working um, but aspiring to and really relying on my significant other to to plan our next trip and to she's she's at home every day editing she inspires me to keep that um, keep out living out that passion so i i have content that i'm going through every day that i'm excited to do, like share um edit color correct etc so i have content every day little instagram <laughs> not to plug here <laughs> I can, uh, but uh, little instagram uh keeps me excited too just taking just sharing one little picture that might somebody might see as that's cool um and reliving those moments, and then being excited for those moments to fuel your next trip—that's really what keeps me, keeps me voted, motivated. And of course, this beautiful setting um, in San Diego—it's—it's. It's, I'm really blessed and really fortunate to be in a place of this beauty. Um, I guess I guess to to put it simply, having a taste of something that if is just so tastes so good is you, you it's like a state of ecstasy for me traveling being lost in these faraway places and capturing those moments through visually and documenting them that's what makes me happy every day because although it although it is concerning when you you're not sure exactly when the next time will be i refuse for that moment to get lost wow no um, I won't settle for anything less. I will work two jobs if I have to. Um, and I will save as much as I can in order to put myself in that position again. And then, um, and then also just hope for and, and visualize that it, it will happen. Um, that's really what, what keeps me going. And then what I would recommend to anybody that I don't do enough of is to use your current surroundings to still live out those passions you know take, take pictures of if you're a photographer take pictures locally mm-hmm. uh, just go outside walk your neighborhood take pictures of trees I don't know yeah uh, I love wildlife there's these little hummingbirds that you saw earlier yeah um, take pictures of that like if you're a writer write about your city like you know whatever it is there's no excuse to not do it
0: it's interesting that you say those things and i i mean you're you're preaching to me Uh, this is i preach your son i have this (laughs) that's right i i have this philosophy that i'm that i'm still trying to kind of mold but i try to live it every day as well which is do something that's solely for you entirely your own without the direction or advice or a manipulation of any other person. That includes my children and my wife. Yes. Something that is solely mine, whether it's creatively or something, that just, that something to indulge in. Mm. And it really does put things into perspective that it's entirely in your control. There's yeah. nothing that really should get in your way. I get it that sometimes we might encounter some challenges and hurdles to get around. Uh, but when it, what it all boils down to is how do you overcome it? How right. is it that you deal with working two jobs mm-hmm. and making sure that that next trip and that next opportunity to see, live, experience, document what you're so passionate about yeah. is done? You're and so you make right. it happen. That's, that's phenomenal. And it's not easy. No. It's a simple philosophy, but it's right. just not easy.
1: It's it's It sounds silly to say that it's not easy, right? But it, but it isn't because the end of the day it's really just a simple awareness Mm -hmm. that really is a mindset that you're completely like you said eddie in control of but i think we're so like hashtag grind every day or you know we're so obsessed with the external that we forget about the internal (laughs) and and I think we want we're, we naturally and I myself too like we naturally want everybody else to see visually that that is our mindset right but is it truly because if it is truly just yours it's like opening a door for somebody and having an expectation so if I open a door for somebody and I expect a thank you then I'm setting myself up for for how for for my motivation for doing that you know what I mean? I'm I'm changing my motivation, but if I just do it without without having an expectation, and I do it for me, then it doesn't matter if that person gives me a, the dirtiest look ever, mm-hmm. or if they say thank you, and give me twenty dollars for doing it. It's, right. it's 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 really like your reasons, your hows. It's not so much the whats in life. For me, it's the how and the why that really. Dictates and is about me more so. Right on. Um, and I I, sp- I speak a game, but I don't. I I I'm not always practicing what I preach.
0: You know, I, and I I have to admit that too. All all of my Instagram feed is an awesome quote, an awesome saying, something that I that, some philosophy that I came up with, or or something that I'm experiencing really, and this is how I came to terms, how I you know got a grip of my rationale in that scenario and uh, on occasion i'll get this really uplifting and encouraging comment like thanks for that one i really needed it Mm -hmm. and time and time again like hey i appreciate that one like that couldn't have come with better timing right and i'll get these really cool and and, and encouraging comments but really what what's what's the truth behind those things is that i needed those reminders more or if not just as much if not more than anybody else Mm -hmm. I ran into that problem in my life where I'm encountering something that's literally happening, and I need to jot down some words. It's my outlet, and I'm ju- I just want to share that same value and that same philosophy to someone who might be experiencing something else. My life ain't perfect. That's right. And I'll be damned if someone says that their life is. Oh, yes. And the point, though, is that if we can come to terms with how to handle those challenging scenarios, losing your foot... Yeah or just mentally you're you're drained right if you can come up with a way in your mind to overcome it without hurting anybody in the process i i mean i would almost be doing a disservice to this world if i didn't share how to do it absolutely you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i think that it's great that um you I mean your story is It's just one of so many others that are out there in the world. But the way that you articulate the lessons that you've learned from your childhood um, in South Africa, going through the the physical acceptance by culturally what that looked like, Mm. um, socially what that transition was like, and then even this personal demon that you had to overcome after the accident. Those are some crazy pivotal experiences that have kind of shaped you to become the man that you are. Um, so thankful that yeah. you took the time to share those little nuggets of wisdom yeah. <laughs> with us. That's awesome. No,
1: thank you for, um, for allowing me this platform to, to share that. I mean, I really respect and love what you do. Um, and your quotes that you come up with that might be for you, they really speak to me, too. So thank you for being who you are. Um, again, I think that's the very definition of being human is being able to share And I don't think we share enough in this world.
0: If we're gonna be connected electronically, we may may as well do it positively. Exactly. That's solid, man. Thanks, brother. You are the man, Thank you, Eddie. You are the
1: man as well.
0: What a well-spoken dude. A real chill energy and all around good person. That's Xander. Xander, thank you so much for being a part of our show and contributing your knowledge, experience, and just all-around wisdom. It's awesome. Thanks very much, guys and gals, for taking the time to listen. If you want to learn more about Xander, his work can be found on Instagram, at XandRover, like Land Rover, but with a Z. That's at XandRover. His work is also featured a lot uh, in a lot of um, Marlena Moreno's films, vlogs, and blogs on margonewild.com. If you have found that this episode or any previous episode has struck some positive chord for you, I'd really appreciate a positive rating and feedback on whatever platform you may be listening this podcast on. Also, screenshot your phones and tag me in your stories at underscore Eddie Mac and help spread the good vibes that you feel. Again, that's at underscore Eddie Mac on Instagram. Screenshot, share it, and I'll give you a shout out. Of course, thanks for the love. Finally, I sincerely mean this every single time that I say it. Thank you for your time on the show. Whether it's your commute to work, your morning walk, or if you're picking up the kids from school, I'm just thankful and appreciative to be a part of your day. That said, take on your day with purpose, passion, and positivity. Let's go.